What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Valvoline, the original motor oil. That's right. Valvoline is America's very first motor oil brand. For 150 years, they've been innovating, creating, and reinventing motor oil. From the very first high mileage oil, to the first synthetic blend, to the first racing oil, they've never stopped pursuing innovation to maximize engine life. And Valvoline's latest innovation, Extended Protection Full Synthetic Motor Oil, provides 50% better wear protection than industry standards and is 10 times stronger against oil breakdown. Valvoline Extended Protection is specifically formulated with dual defense additive technology, combining an innovative additive boosted with a fortified detergent system. And why do you need it? Because I bet you're a severe driver. You might not think you're a severe driver, but short trips, towing, extreme temperatures, turbocharged engines, and heavy loads like a fully loaded van or SUV, and especially spirited drives, put extra pressure on your engine. Just ask people like Chris Forsberg, Rob Dom, Freddie Tavares, Hernandez, Speed Academy, Gears and Gasoline, Dustin Williams, and TJ Hunt, all of whom trust Valvoline in their cars. I love the history behind Valvoline as well as everything they've accomplished in motorsport. It gives me confidence that I'm putting a high-quality motor oil in my car. They're the only brand with a dedicated engine lab where they can run specialized and standardized engine tests right in their own facility. They're the world's number one supplier of EV battery fluids, offering tailored products to help extend vehicle range and efficiency. And Valvoline is proud to be the official motor oil of Hendrick Motorsports. Valvoline driver Kyle Larson was just crowned the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series regular season champion with nine wins and 2,000 laps led. So head down to your local auto parts store and ask for Valvoline by name. We're also brought to you today by Noom. You never heard of Noom? Noom is good. Here's what Noom is. Noom is an app that'll help you manage daily stress and anxious thoughts. Something we all want, but a lot of us don't know where to even begin. If you've listened to this show for any period of time, you know that I work every single day to manage stress, anxiety, and I've tried a bunch of different things. I go see a, a real a therapist, an in-person therapist. I've tried chemical solutions. I've read books, tried meditative strategies, and now I am in to Noom Mood. It's here to guide you to mental wellness and give you the tools you need to tackle stress so you'll imp- feel empowered to take on whatever life throws at you. So it's one step at a time, right? So you, you start by going to noom.com slash tire. And there you do a very quick, straightforward questionnaire about what gives you stress. What makes you stress in your life? Is it work? Is it family? Is it your eating? Is it your sleeping? And you go through and it takes, I don't know, five minutes to get to the end of the questionnaire. And at the end of which, Noom provides you with a personalized uh, anxiety and stress reduction plan, right? It's just your plan. And it all it all it asks of you is a, one step at a time, a couple of minutes a day. There's a team of dedicated coaches, so you'll have a support system helping you along the way. It's backed by science. The lessons are based on psychological principles that teach you about your relationship with stress and anxiety. It provides you with a variety of tools and techniques to try out and discover. There's a new daily curriculum coupled with a one-on-one coach guiding and encouraging you on your journey. It's accessible and convenient, and with only 10 minutes a day, you can do it whenever or wherever as long as you've got your 
phone with you, right? Letting your stress control you, letting your anxiety control you is a losing strategy, unfortunately. I have dealt with this for many, many years, and you have to do a little bit of work and gain a little bit of knowledge and skills to steer yourself out of that hole. Now, because one size doesn't fit all, the personalized program helps, and you can navigate the program at your own pace with the support of a coach along the way right? You could help lose weight. You could help sleep better. You could help be happier. You could be a better husband, wife, child, parent, and taking care of your mental wellness is totally empowering. So by understanding your personal relationship with stress and anxious thoughts, you can take control, build resilience, and develop coping mechanisms that actually work. All you need is 10 minutes a day, and it's an app, so it's there for you anytime, anywhere. So, Worry less, feel happier. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash tire. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash tire. All right? Trust me, this is good stuff. Being happier, being less stressed is extremely, extremely clutch. Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash tire. And it's Policy Genius. They're back. Thanksgiving is coming, folks. November's here. I'm ready for turkey. I'm ready for taters. There's a lot to be thankful for. My family, my brother's doing better. And I'm thankful for the fact that Policy Genius can check if I'm paying too much for home and auto insurance. While your holiday calendar starts filling up, let those folks at Policy Genius get your home and auto insurance shopping done faster than you can still say daylight savings time. They make it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place, helping you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. They've saved customers an average of $1,250 per year over what they were paying for home and auto before. Think of the party you could have for Thanksgiving with $1,250 a year. They've saved new customers an average of $435 a year on auto. They've saved new customers an average of $350 a year on home. And their team at Policy Genius will handle the paperwork to set up your new policy or switch over your current one. So getting started is really, really, really easy. Just go to policygenius.com slash smoking tire, answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property, and then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find you the lowest quotes available. They can look for ways to save you more, including bundling your home and auto policies. If Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. Their top-notch service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. So head over to policygenius.com slash smoking tire to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it is nice to get it right. How about crowd health, folks? More than half of Americans are on a high-deductible health insurance plan, on the hook for thousands of dollars in deductibles, co-pays, and sky-high premiums. I know this because I was once on one of those plans. It was sort of the, I can't really afford good insurance, but I need to have some kind of insurance for if I get into a massive car accident, right? It's like the, the super emergency insurance plan. Those plans aren't great. And unfortunately, the only way I was able to get off that plan was to marry somebody. (laughs) Our system in this country 
stinks. Many people are concerned about the cost of health insurance, and there really aren't any good options other than marrying someone who works at a quality corporation with great coverage. You've got to either go insured, pay through the nose for a high-deductible plan with questionable coverage, all because our broken health insurance system stinks. It's like being stuck with an old cable TV plan and not knowing that Netflix was a thing. So Crowd Health is here. It isn't health insurance, but it's a better way to pay medical expenses. Crowd Health is a community of people who are tired of paying into a broken system. It's a place where you can get a simple, flexible, and affordable way to pay for your health care. Being in the Crowd Health community can save hundreds of dollars monthly and put thousands of dollars back into your pocket. It's flexible. It's a monthly subscription, so you can start or stop when it's convenient for you. It's simple. They have an app, and by using it, you can find nearly any doctor in the country, ranked from one star to five star. And it's a a community of health-conscious members who want to get healthy and stay healthy in return for lower prices. 100% of your monthly membership pays for actual health care costs. Uh, helping the whole crowd health community stay healthy while keeping more money in your pocket. So crowd health is able to offer these amazing prices because of its community of health conscious members. But for a limited time, limited time, our listeners are getting their first month for free. And once you've been a member, crowd health will include a fitness wearable. That's 30 days to try with risk free plus the fitness wearable. So go to crowd health, uh, excuse me, so go to joincrowdhealth.com slash fit. That's joincrowdhealth.com slash fit and enter code TIRE at sign up. Joincrowdhealth.com slash fit. Enter code TIRE at sign up to get your first 30 days to try risk flip free plus the fitness wearable. Crowd Health is not health insurance. It's a community-powered alternative. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, folks, on this episode of the podcast, my old friend Kyle Tucker, founder and uh, CEO of Detroit Speed and Engineering out of Mooresville, North Carolina. Uh, I love Detroit Speed. I think that these guys build some of the highest quality uh, builds uh, in the American car genre. Their parts are second to none. Their engineering is incredible. They win races. They win autocrosses. Uh, They build true driver's cars, uh, making these old school classics really go stop and turn uh, better than anyone else I've ever seen. I went to North Carolina like four or five years ago uh, to uh, to drive a bunch of their cars, and I came away so impressed. Uh, today, we're at the SEMA show uh, in Las Vegas, brought to you by Valvoline, who has paid us uh, to broadcast from their booth. Uh, very kind of them. And we've got Kyle Tucker joining us at the Valvoline b- booth from the floor of the SEMA show, talking about the history and science of Detroit Speed and Engineering on the Smoke Tire Podcast. Welcome back to SEMA, folks. This is, uh, well, it's an interesting year here at the convention center. It's a little little less, uh, a little less hectic, I think, than it's uh, been. Easier to pee, <laughs> easier to get a terrible hot dog, <laughs> and uh, hanging out with Kyle Tucker. What's happening, brother? Nice uh, to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for the invite, and uh, it is. It's different this year. Yeah, which I don't know. I don't. I don't miss the old way. I think this is good. It's. It's nice. I mean, you know, a little space to breathe. And I gotta admit, it's a lot easier to get around wearing a mask. No, you're it, not being stopped <laughs> by people. It is. You know, and you're you're 
key point on going to the bathroom, you can get in and out pretty quick. It's There's nice. Not a big line, shoulder to shoulder. In very the nice. And, yeah. It is nice. Yeah. And no one can tell if you're smiling really widely in the bathroom. <laughs> I know. <It's> good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, what are you looking at? Oh, you got your mask on. <laughs> I, I, dude, I, I, I am, I'm pro. And, uh, you know, of as far as the... Uh, you know the the old school American cars. You know your your company, Detroit Speed, built some of the best stuff I've ever driven. That some of the tightest, Thank you, you know, best handling. You know what what a lot of people, I think, wish they had with their builds or think they have with their builds, but they don't quite seem to get all the way there. But at at the Detroit Speed stuff, it's certainly your, your in-house projects, your car, your wife Stacy's car, your your shop vehicles are pretty over the top, but not just, you know, because it's a thousand horsepower or whatever, just in terms of that that tightness that you don't really get with the older stuff ever. Why is that? Well, one, we've got a we've got a pretty open canvas to work with on the older yeah. cars, right, compared to today. Yeah. But I appreciate the words and you know, we've worked hard at it. Um when I worked at GM, I was in development at the Proving Ground. So, you know, you learn what the, somebody like GM does to make a car right. Right. To ride right, stop right, do all the things right. And we've tried to apply all of that at Detroit Speed to these older muscle cars. And you can, you know, tires today. Tires yeah. are the biggest advantage. So from a suspension standpoint, we've got a lot of room to catch up to the tire and much improved overall from what 60s, 70s cars had. So but it's, it's a big it's, step. It's, there's so much more to it than just, like, assembling the correct parts. It seems like there's a fine-tuning aspect of it that either is overlooked by a lot of people or... There's just it's, It feels like there's always a lot left on the table. You know, I think it's really in the development of the products. We spend a lot of time, you know, testing the products. We've Every product line we've ever come out with, we've had a test car. And that test car gets put through hell yeah. you know, to just sort it out, to break it or just sort out the ride, stop, steer. I mean, everything about the car. And um, I think that's where a lot of companies in the aftermarket, there's a lot of good companies, but where a lot of companies just, they don't have the bandwidth to, to do that, too. Where so you worked at GM, is that where is that where your career in cars started, or what's before what was before GM? Yeah, so engineering school before GM, uh-huh. I was a college co-op, lucky enough to get into a program there, and um, went into the GM Proving Grounds. That's where I worked at for college co-op career and um, full-time doing what career. kind of stuff? Right and handling. So oh, okay, well, um, that certainly explains a lot. Suspension development, yeah, you know, test a, test data. But did, you yeah. have, did you get to do that for sports cars, or did you have to do it for so you, Luminas? You, you and, never for, <laughs> never believe me, but I was you know a kid coming in from engineering school, and the C five was a pre pre prototype at that phase. So okay. I'm dating myself right there. But they needed someone that had no ties and could move where the weather was good and take a car with you. So we had six pre prototype C five Corvettes, and I had one as a new engineer to go test chassis and suspension loads. Wow, how, how camoed was it? Very camoed. It yeah. was extra body panels on top of body panels and lots of matte black, at the time, wrap. You know, wraps yeah. aren't what they are today, so it was like I put it on, but yeah. they, they were camoed the best they could, but we broke a lot of stuff. How, I rem- how excited were you as a recent college grad like here's the new sports car it's going to be the next Corvette. yeah it wasn't so, like it wasn't like here's the the lumina or the beretta right. or you know <laughs> go test the, this door the, handle the the, the, well, the cavalier or whatever it was actually to dive right into the sports car program it, it was big you know i was a kid that grew up racing and loved cars my dad had hot rods so to me 
I still have goosebumps thinking about it. I mean, it was just a great opportunity, right place at the right time. And as a gearhead, you know, you go into the proving ground, they hand you a pre-prototype C5 Corvette. This is the test schedule. This is what we need done and when. And here's your roads. Here's the hoist. Here's all the tools and equipment you need and go yeah. after it. Did you have competitive product to drive as well? Yes. What was a, the competitive product that you were driving for the C5 Corvette? Because I owned a C5 Corvette yeah. for 18 years. I had a 1998, and I sold it in 2016. So I had a lot oh, of yeah, a lot, of, a seat lot time. of seat time. Yeah. So what was the competitive product? It, it was a wide range, but a great question. It went from the Viper uh-huh. to Acura NSX uh-huh. um, to, of course, the Mustangs, uh-huh. anything in the middle. But yeah, Nothing we put, Italian? Nothing German? Not that I got in. They yeah, may see, have given I that to they, the higher pay grade guys. I think they could. Of, uh, I think they had an opportunity there that might have been missed, but yeah, no. I, I, no, I, I really chief engineer was Dave Hill at the time. And oh yeah, he was uh, he was a right on guy. He came from Cadillac, so he had like the you know the Cadillac side to him. So a ride meant a lot to him. Mm-hmm. But as you know, owning a C5 and driving, it had a lot of handling capacity. Yeah, as well, as well I mean, ride. you could you you could get a C5 today. Yes, and you you know you put it on the right tires and. You know, a couple b- basic bolt-on upgrades, and you could be one of the fastest guys at any given track day. Yeah, the Z06, you know. he put tires, brakes, and new seats in it, right? Yeah, uh, seats <laughs> somewhere sure. hooked up. Yeah. yeah. When you're doing that kind of development and, you know, the car, I I, there, I remember reading about it because I was, you know, I, I bought my car when I was 18. So yeah. I, was, I remember reading about it in the magazines before then. And it, there was the speculation of, are we going to finally get away from the leaf spring, the transverse right. leaf spring? So you were working on that pre-pro car. Did you ever propose, or what was the discussion like at that time about maybe going to a coilover or a leaf spring or whatever? Was it talked about, or was it, nope, it's a leaf spring, and it's staying that way? Yeah, you know, I don't remember it talked about a whole lot because there was such a new architecture of the car coming from uh-huh. the C4 to C5. They had a lot of moving parts, a lot of new parts, and I don't remember coilovers or anything like that yeah. coming up to replace the leaf springs. I remember it afterwards once the car came out there was you know quotes from whoever in the reviews saying well the coilovers didn't match the the durability cycle they had right. a, it was a 200,000 mile durability cycle or it's something crazy and, what they, and they the couldn't through. they couldn't find a coilover that would last as long right you know and there's probably some truth to that you know I mean it's basically an exposed monoball bearing yeah. on most coilovers and yeah. that would not survive the GM proving ground durability tests. You know, I, I, I learned a lot from guys like, you know, Al Oppenheiser and, and the, the GM performance guys. When the C seven ZR one, when I went on the launch for that in twenty nineteen and it had a the performance data recorder and the, the built in uh cam camera. Right. right. And it was like seven twenty P. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck, guys? You know, my iPhone is, you know, <laughs> right, is two point seven K or whatever and they go, Yeah, but your iPhone camera won't survive ten years in the sun right. and our camera will. Yeah. You know, and and I learned a lot about uh, durability cycles and, and what they expected and why you know, in some cases, that hardware seemed to be, quote, behind the times. It would blow your mind to know the kind of tests that GM and probably most of the bigger OE companies in the U.S., what testing they do and what freak accidents have probably occurred through the years and they test for. Yeah. It's Doesn't that, I mean, when you move from that type of factory testing to the aftermarket, you must approach your product from the beginning with a completely different mindset. It was, and I think that was what helped us a lot. You know, definitely the the engineering and the finite element analysis, as much as you can afford in an aftermarket company to yeah. throw at it. I knew yeah. what the big big guys did. Yeah. But as much as we could capital, 
spend and, and, and do that, we did. But we spent most of the time after design work, all those hours in development because you could get a car, I yeah. could go to the track, and we could just pound it. Well, it's interesting, you know, here we are at SEMA where, you know, we're at aftermarket land, right? And you see all kinds of parts, expensive parts, cheap parts, you know, everything in between. And from a personal experience, I had built this Mustang, right, a Fox body, and it was really cool. It looked great and independent rear suspension. It was, you know, a whole deal. But it would never really run right. And so I took it to this guy who was was like the last guy in L.A. who could dyno test a Fox body. He had like a PC from 1993. (laughs) You know what I mean? With one of them ribbon connectors. Like it was ridiculous. (laughs) And he opened my hood and he went, oh, I see your problem. And I had all these brand name aftermarket parts from the distributor to the coil to the da and the da. And he goes, what we're going to do is we're going to rip all this shit out. And we're just going to get stuff from other Fords. Hmm. Just Fords with this engine that made more power. We're going to mix. Okay, you need the throttle body from the Cobra. You need the distributor from the Explorer. You need the da-da-da. And all of a sudden, it ran (laughs) ran perfect. It's crazy, And he's like, like these other companies, even though you've seen them in Jags your whole life, they're not doing the the testing, the quality control that that you can get from your basic-ass Ford part. Right. You know, there's a lot said for that. I mean, they have teams of engineers and people to be able to work on yeah. this minutest, most minute part, you know, yeah. to perfect it. Yeah. So when I visited you guys in North Carolina, I think it was 2016 or 17. It was probably five right. years ago. I drove a bunch of stuff. It was great. You guys can go back and dig up those videos. Um, they were there was, was there was fun. It was yeah. it was it was a, it was a good time, and I really enjoyed meeting your people, and I uh, I, I really enjoyed learning about what it was that you guys did and and at at that time you know the cars were obviously heavily chassis focused and i drove an autocross corvette and and your car which was a real true pro touring well-rounded car uh, as well as stacy's car and um but it was all kind of you know ls based tremec gearboxes but it's been five years so 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 what is what is the industry standard now for this for a $500,000 $500,000 pro touring build. What are we doing that's new? Yeah, it's just, it's more demanding and, and, and more of the OE still trickling down into the aftermarket. You know, I mean, what a controller, any engine control controller can do now in the mm. aftermarket is crazy compared to what it used to be able to do five or six years ago. Uh-huh. So, you know, electronic steering, electric steering, oh, electric electronic power diffs. Steering. Yeah. Know, I mean, sequential transmissions, all those things are on the table now for builds. Uh-huh. And it just gets analog brakes. We use a lot of analog brakes. So the, the systems in the cars just get to be more and more sophisticated yeah. every year. I mean, the, the most advanced car that you had at the time it was a it was a charger. Yeah. It had a Hellcat motor in it. Right. And I and I remember you telling me that in order to get that motor, you had to buy an entire Hellcat and right. take it apart. Whereas now you can buy that as a crate engine. It had a, I believe it was a twist machine paddle shift system. And yeah. now you know it's not standard. It's still right. a, a cool trick thing. But a lot of people are building electronically controlled automatic gearboxes with some type of electronic right. you know gearbox controls and like you know our. Have you put? Have you gotten a dual clutch to work in one of these things yet? No, yet. Is that the next? Is that the <laughs> it, next step? It's out there, and it, and it will happen. I mean, we're not working on anything right now, but it will happen. Because Tremix got the gearbox for the GT five hundred, right? right? So you could you could presumably buy a Tremec dual clutch and yeah. install it in a fa- fairly similar fashion to the Mustang, right? You, you could. Yeah. Is, is the challenge with that bringing the computing power over from you know an OEM car and 
making a standalone transmission system? You or know, no? not so much anymore. And, you know, again, like the engine controllers today, like the Holley Dominator system, it, it, it's crazy what you can do with that system. All the options that you can control, uh, RPM drops, I mean, at any level that you want in any instance. So that's very doable okay. today. Have people tried to build all-wheel drive muscle cars yet? Yes. In fact, we've... Uh, <laughs> We've designed one and it's being worked on. Really? Right now. Yeah. Yes. What kind? Yeah. What is the car? It's it will be a '69 Camaro. Yes. That'd be pretty cool. It's the real deal. Is yeah. that is the '69 Camaro still kind of your 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 meat and potatoes? There is that still what people are wanting? We we always have had because that was our first product line was the first generation Camaros and we there will always probably be a first gen Camaro in the shop, but you know more trucks. We've got uh, a Blazer now, a K5 Blazer uh-huh. in the shop, Riviera. Those so. are those are real shit boxes. Those K5 Blazers. <laughs> yes, they are. I drove one of those. That was one of the worst driving vehicles I've ever it's, driven it's in my a, life. It's a tractor. It was terrible. Yeah, it <laughs> a lot of room to move upward there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they look great. No, I mean, that do. that that's a pure attitude truck. But right. oh boy, are they bottom of the barrel when they it comes are. to driving experience? <laughs> They're terrible. <laughs> it's like a road grader. You're oh. in the ditches most of the time. I mean, look, and I live in Los Angeles, so everybody wants a fucking Bronco. Yeah. And they're trash too. I mean, yeah. they're you know, I I drove the recently. I drove a Bronco's one hundred and fifty thousand dollar build, Coyote motor, right. you know, crazy reservoir shocks and all this stuff. I thought I was going to crash into a row of parked cars. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was un, uncontrollable disaster. Right. right. You know, so I, I, I there's a lot of room to for improvement there. There is. <laughs> so what about um, you know. Are the I, I saw the uh, the blue IROC that you guys did a couple of years ago, yeah. and I thought, oh man, IROCs are about to be cool. Maybe I need to get on the IROC train. Are they coming up? Are people asking for the '80s now? Absolutely, um, IROC parts and Fox Body parts. That's where it's at now. Yeah. Oh, you have a Fox Body kit? Yeah. No, we've we've just introduced a rear suspension kit. Uh-huh. Um, some body components, mini. Does tubs. it keep the solid axle or is it an independent suspension? Solid rear? axle mm-hmm. right now, and we've got a bolt-on front suspension and an SLA coming out. Okay, cool. Very soon. If you're if you're not driving on roads that are too bumpy, if the roads are relatively smooth, that setup will work yeah. just fine. It's yeah. only on the crappiest of tarmac that the right. independence is, and it's very complex and very heavy. It is, <laughs> it, you know, and the track widths, I mean, all of that, it can be done, but there's pluses and minuses to both, so. I did it because it was like, I liked the idea of new tech in an old car, right. but I could have achieved a very similar end result for a lot less money and yeah. headache and, and, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily <laughs> worth the effort, but uh, it is. It's in the '80s and '90s, and the IROC that we built. Um, I've raced mine two or three years now, and it's it's brought more and more people to buying those cars. I think yeah. and building more, so it's fun. Yeah, they're they they they're they're moving out of ironic cool and into regular cool. Right. You yeah. know. Yeah. So uh, you just told me, like, literally right before we started recording, that that you guys were bought out by Holly. Yes. That's congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. I must have missed the press release because apparently it happened <laughs> no, 10 months ago. You know, it, there wasn't much of a press release, but, you know, Holly has a strong brand, right? I mean, all the brands that yeah. they have, and they're very good at getting the job done. And they came to me a few years ago, and I said no. I still had a lot I wanted to do in the industry. And um, even last year when they started calling, um, but, you know, their executive team over there, they're car guys, and they get it. They get this industry. They're great people. And I started having a once-a-week conversation with them, and I kept telling them no. And then finally I said, well, maybe, as 2020 <laughs> went along. Yeah. And uh, to <laughs> any business owner, it was tough. 
Um, even though yeah, we but your type year. of your business, you must have had a record year. We did. You, you must know, have had two scary months and then a record year after that. You're the exact kind of place that would have been printing money during this whole we, thing. We were doing very well. We weren't on the road spending marketing money. Yeah. Um, the shop was very busy with builds and the products. Yeah, but, but your pa- your time, patrons must have been just sending the wire. I mean, it was really. It was a great year. But yeah. That was, Part of the beauty of it, too, as we talked, you know, they were going to get into the suspension business, yeah. whether it was Detroit Speed or one of the competitors. And, again, there was a, a lot of reasons I hadn't thought about it, you know. So I had a, an adult conversation with myself and made the pros and cons, mm. and it started to make sense. Holly's a great brand. They treated me very well all the way through it, and I'm still involved on a part-time engineering basis now. So what is the what is the structure of it? Is is Detroit Speed the brand still the brand, or is it is it just a – subsidiary or and, and are you guys operating independently over there or how's it working yeah no the great questions and of course employees had to be explained that right away but the facility will still be in mooresville uh-huh. they understand the connection of a car place like mooresville you know to yeah it's like to, nascar city it is i yeah. mean there's a lot of technical content and technical people there so the facility will stay in mooresville the brand will still be Detroit Speed. They recognize the brand and what it means in the industry. USA made parts uh, designed to be the upper level parts, and that all will absolutely still be the same. Do you guys have any uh, cars here at the show? No, not this year. We've got some that are ready to come out, um, very close, but couldn't make it this year. Are you are you over like rushing to build a car to get Man, it here? <laughs> I tell you, October is is October, November are so tough usually between. Yeah prepping a car and coming out with a booth and then usually I race an Optima into the week and then go to Baja right after that to start pre-running so it's always been a ball buster to tell you the are you truth, running so. are you running Baja yeah this we year? go down uh, Sunday night to start pre-running oh wow what's yeah. your pre-running vehicle so it's uh, like a class 10 buggy um, oh okay that's your race vehicle and also your pre-running yeah so it's similar to it's like a detuned version of a, of a class 10 vehicle oh, okay. for pre-run and I do it for BF Goodrich tires and it's a great team gosh I've done it Eight or nine times now. Really? And, What's uh, your best finish? We've won class four oh. times. Oh wow! So. I should I should research that before <laughs> asking right. the question. We, we, luck is a lot on your side down at Baja. You have to beat Baja first, and then you race whoever's left near the end. That's what funny. is the What is your uh, if you can recall your your best time? Do you remember? Uh, well, you know it's hard because the race course may be seven hundred miles one year, and it may be fourteen hundred. Oh, miles true. One they year, change. Yeah, so they change it a bunch. It yeah. varies. You know, your average speed changes. Mm-hmm. Like our average speed this year is probably in our class thirty-five miles an hour, which okay. seems thirty-five mile an hour. Yeah. No, but, but average. You may be picking through a dry lake, dry creek bed at two miles an hour yeah, for thirty yeah. minutes, and yeah. you're going one hundred and twenty across the dry. What lake your bed. top speeds? About one hundred and twenty in race trim with spare tires and light bars and parts. It's about one hundred and twenty. And how close is your pre-running vehicle to your race vehicle? It's kind of clapped out compared to race vehicle. It's like getting in a new car when you're on race day. It's uh-huh. like everything's as it should be. Is it allowed? Like. What are the rules for a pre-runner? Like, are it, there- it opened, um, gosh, two weeks ago. People could start pre-running. And trophy truck, spec truck, class one guys. But you can't pre-run in your race vehicle, right? You or, could. Oh, you could? Yeah, but it's risky, right? but it, yeah you're just going to, it'll be sacked out. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, but I didn't. I thought most people didn't do it because there was a, a rule against it. No, I don't think there is. I okay. mean, a lot of people pre-run on a UTV now because it's not yeah. like you have to go down there at 100%, 10 right. tenths driving. You're there checking your GPS and putting what we call skull and crossbones on the GPS. Yeah, hey, yeah. This will kill you on race speeds. So yeah. check up. And, you know, and your co-driver calls that out. Hey, we've got a skull and crossbones coming up and 
and two tenths, mm-hmm. one tenth. Did, check did you have a note about what the skull and crossbones is, or you just know skull and crossbones, you slow down, especially, you know, and then you identify we, it on the fly? We remember the big, scary skull and crossbones, like a washout that's five feet down and six feet wide. You remember some of those, but um, we make notes too, and we st- the race week's pretty serious with logistics and drivers' meetings and going over those gotchas that, that you remember them. Seems fun. What kind of engine's in the Class 10? So we're running a, uh, it's basically a flat four Porsche Subaru motor, fuel injected, um, Weddell transaxle, and um, lots of suspension travel, um, like 37-inch tires. And um, It's a pretty old-school style setup, though, right? It, it is. I mean, but that's what works down there. You know, yeah. you've seen people try a lot of trick stuff, and it is so hard to beat the terrain down there. Yeah. That it's, it's air, and air-cooled, right? And air, and ours are water-cooled. Oh, it's water-cooled. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, and that's why BF Goodrich does it, I think. I mean, well, I know they do it. They have such a presence down there, but that is the proving ground for the, some of the tires that yeah. we get to drive on in the all-terrains is it has to prove it can beat Baja first. Yeah. Is it like a KO2 or something? Yeah, we, we put it's neat. This team that we've had together, when you see Baja champion on the side of a BF Goodrich tire, it's because it's legitimately won the BF, you know, the Baja 1000. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, we've been part of that with a KO2, um, KM3. Um, so it's it's pretty neat to be a part of that. That's really cool. I bet that I mean I bet that that's a, a very rewarding thing to win. It seems really hard. You know what's rewarding is just to finish. To be a part of it, it's so surreal. You know, you're tired and your body hurts and the car is starting to get clapped out and you see the sunrise and you think, man, this is we're racing in the Baja 1000. This yeah. is cool. Is there yeah. is there a point during the race where because from the outside looking in, it looks like the most exciting driving you can do because it's like, oh, here's. 15 hours of sliding in the dirt and going right. flat out, but I'm sure that gets tiring. Is there a point in the race where that gets tiring? You're like, now I'm just trying to survive, or does it go up and down in terms of no, excitement? No, it, it does go up and down. You're running on adrenaline that's so high, but you can only, you're strapped in there for so long. We're typically in the car six to, anywhere six to 10 hours, but if something goes wrong, I've been in the car 19 hours. So, I mean, it, it wears on you, um, especially if you're not feeling well. When, and uh, we're, we're pretty strict race week to have cheese quesadillas and bottled water or yeah. bottled beer only yeah and uh you know for the gringos to go down and and uh, you have to be pretty pretty uh careful on what you eat and drink no sushi yeah. no, <laughs> no sushi down there it's probably good but uh yeah you don't want to do that yeah, yeah but gotcha. i've started the race where it's like um some of us got sick even before the race and to, to finish it's like strongest man competition just to kind of muscle through it my friend just ran a rally two weeks ago he finished third but his co-driver i I don't know why he got sick but they have on board of they get half a mile in the race and the guy just says i'm sorry i I can't read the notes and he just pulls out a bag and he spent two stages throwing up while dave just drove and drove basically blind and and still finished third. terrible and watching the onboard of the guy just that's, going around corners, you know. I, I feel because you know it is in the in the race you're wired live with your co-driver, right? So you hear them breathe, start to breathe heavy. You hear them throw up in their helmet. Ugh. You hear everything, right? So I mean, it, it's it's a treat. Yeah, that's that's. I'll just tap out now. That sounds awful. It's a good time. You yeah. would like it. Can I ask? Um, when you when you started Detroit Speed, because of your background knowledge at the OEMs, did you approach modifying and improving handling on these old cars from a with a different way than other companies? Like, instead of going, okay, we just need stiffer suspension, did you, did you go, well, we can reinforce the chassis in these weird places that only OEMs usually focus on? Yeah, no, I believe we did because, you know, in the aftermarket, it was always Heim joints and Delrin bushings. And I knew that you could get a rubber bushing 
the right rubber bushing um, to ride right and handle right. And then you get the best of both worlds. So we spend a lot of time on that. And just like the subframe, when we came out with it years ago, and to this date, it's still the only hydroform front subframe available in the aftermarket. And that's what GM does, right? I was dumb enough as a company owner to stick my neck out there and try it. It was a risk because um, it was big tooling dollars. But I knew in the long run that would pay us back in the aftermarket. And it has. I mean, it was just if GM were to do a first-generation Camaro front subframe, that's how they would have done it, right? New geometry, hydroform frame rail, stamped cross members, rack and pinion, and we pulled it off with a small team and not a lot of money in the aftermarket. So I think we did approach it, even the basics, a lot different from the NVH, you know, that most aftermarket companies didn't pay attention to several years ago. Yeah. What is, like, in terms of, like, the materials science that's happened in the last few years? I mean, obviously, carbon, the cost of carbon stuff has come down. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, what are some of the more interesting materials that you have access to now that you might not have had access to in the past? Definitely not that aluminum is new, but using a lot more aluminum in the bonding agents that you have today. I mean, the adhesives that are available from mm-hmm. the companies. It's crazy how strong it can be. Spread that out over the surface area, and it's better than welding some things together. Isn't right? it funny how far... Uh, people will use and go in their marketing to avoid saying the word glue. <laughs> yeah, really. It's bonding. You know, it's bonding. Bonded. Lotus talks about a bonded chassis, and I'm like, you mean you glued it together, huh? And like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they all do it. They all, it's aluminum <laughs> bonded to something. Everyone, and like, right. How is it bonded? Yeah. Right. But that's, I mean, that's, you're right. It is, it's, some of the stuff that they can do, it, it's it's more rigid than metal. It is. You know? Yeah, I mean, just what you can do with shocks today, I mean, you can have your phone app, you can change the settings on the shots oh, yeah. today that we can't I got to play with that. one of those yeah. yeah I left the I left the phone alone I, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't you know what? I don't like when it goes through the phone I like to give me like give me a sport button you know what I mean I just like something about I mean I re, I know that the fine the fine tuners you know the people who re, like if you give let me play with this in my phone I will fuck the tuning right, <laughs> right. up give me, give me sport and comfort on a hard button right you know it was with the uh, gunther works mm-hmm. the gunther works not you know uh, 993 porsche which is right. like six hundred thousand dollars you know yeah. and has it now has a uh, an adaptive uh shock that's adjustable from the uh from the phone and uh they were like here's the, the app and here's how you do it i'm like just one button for comfort and one button for sport no, please you know i'm with you i'm a basic level i'm like the chevrolet biscayne guy i like i like to drive a car i don't yeah. like all the switches and and things you can do i, I want it bare bones really well i just don't want to need my phone for it like we even if, even when we're filming you know we use gopros right, right. for filming oh people oh you just turn them on with your phone no i don't i hit the button on top <laughs> i know it's i going. know it's on <laughs> right a hundred percent you know what i mean i just don't trust yeah. i don't trust the phone yeah i don't know why but, it, you know, that's all that's out there. And a lot of the customers we build for, they want those gadgets. Yeah. So we have to get into that and, and understand it, just like the tr- traction control or ABS. I yeah. Mean, it's real, and customers want that, even though, you know, like, for an example, the... the um, but do you limit shift. Do you limit what the customer can do for their own good? Well, yeah, as a builder, you have to educate them, right? Yeah. It, this isn't like a paddle shift that you're going to ex- you'll experience in your... And your Porsche, right? It's, it doesn't work like that. It's yeah. not as fast. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, sometimes we can educate them. Sometimes we can't. Yeah. What's, like, what's, what is the, do you think that as, as uh, you know, 
mass OEMs get more legislated out of certain high performance vehicles or are forced to go, you know, do you see your business growing because people are going to start wanting more and more things that they can't get anymore? Or do you see yourself following and doing EV hot rods and stuff like that? You know, that's a hot topic this week, right? At, at so I, I've seen, so. I've seen more chassis with EV powertrains on them here than yeah. I really thought I would. I have to, and you know, there's a mixed bag of results, and I get that. But you've got to remember, and you know, in this industry, in this show, it's about bringing what's new. And electric motors are what's new, and, mm. and you're going to see it. And cars, hot rods, I mean, as people modify cars, you're going to see it. But that is coming, and I think there'll be a market for it. From me, I appreciate that it's the next step forward. Um, but at the same time, I think it will help our business so that as cars get to be less and less able to be modified, like the new corvette right yeah. i mean what more how much more can you do it there's crazy body kits and things out there but to some me some of them are heinous some, some of them are really some bad, are really bad. <laughs> yeah. um you know but it gives us the opportunity to build something for a customer that's different that your neighbor can't have in their driveway you know how to build an all-wheel drive camaro and yeah you don't have that buddy yeah. check that out so it's it is it's i think there's still a lot of room for the aftermarket and the and the builders to still do their thing what are, not that I want you to, to throw any specific company or car under the bus, but what are some of the most common mistakes you see people making when they're trying to make old cars go fast? Probably overlooking the small things. I mean, you can put an electric motor in some of these cars, but they forget about everything else. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's typically they'll hit on, in a lot of shops, you'll see it that they, they um, you know, they'll, they'll focus on the big items um, to put the latest widget or gadget in the car but the rest of the car the body panels or the fitment or the the way you sit in a car you know to me that's very important and people will raise the floor pan in these cars so they can set them on the rockers but who wants to drive it like that then you're i know i've seen some i i've been walking around and i've seen a couple cars where i peeked in and the seating position was like oh this is this is obviously not meant to be driven for very long right yeah that stuff really matters. It does. I mean, I've, I've had some people that, yeah, the, the car looks great sitting over there, or it's in a, on a magazine spread, but you'd never want to drive it because yeah. it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. So I mean, I've, cars, I've, you guys, like, yeah. compete in, you know, Ultimate Street Car Invitational and other, you know, autocross events in your class, right? I mean, that's... Right. I came to know of you through Matt, of course, but you drove a bunch of their cars that were, like, high-performance, go-stop turn machines. So have you always focused on, you know, performance first and then the rest of kind of aesthetics and design came afterwards? You know, growing up racing, I've always been a functional guy first, you know, and and I don't like anything fake on a car. If it's not doing its job, then I don't want it on there. Um, So it's been the function and that that before, you know, the beauty of it. But at the same time, you can have a very, very functional car that's fun to drive and highly detailed. And I think that's kind of been our niche in the market is to build a very functional fun driving car that's that can be very detailed too yeah your cars i mean they other than being very loud (laughs) and therefore (laughs) some are pretty loud some are pretty loud and 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 that the 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 volume of them can make you kind of tired i find that that your cars are are easy to drive for a long time they're they're just not they're not even for the level of performance they offer they don't feel like as much like work Mm -hmm. to drive as some of the other builds that you know you got to muscle around like right. your cars they steer more normally you know and they they just feel a little more a little, a little more like actual modern cars yeah and i think 
I appreciate that because that means a lot. We want it to be like that, you know, because we we spend so much time on the development side to really work through the spring rates and the shock valving and the bar rates to to make it a package that has the handling capacity that hopefully a customer rarely reaches. Hopefully yeah. if they do, it's there, but it rides well and everybody can appreciate that day to day. Is it is it important to to still do these like, you know, crazy built motors when like you know you get an LT four just like drop it in and call it a day? Is it just you know the crazy motors that people want the horsepower numbers and most of the customers that want a thousand horsepower car have never had anything close to that <laughs> <laughs> and when they drive it it is like oh my god I don't need to own this car anymore yeah. right? I mean it, it I fear for some of them driving it some of these cars we've built I mean they are faster than you can think sometimes yeah and some of these people they don't have the experience to drive it. So. Well, that's what we see in California when people go from a Prius to a Tesla. Yeah. And right. now they've got something that's right 500 now. to 1,000 horsepower, and it's silent. You're right. And you don't have any kind of sensory uh, indication of the fact that you're entering a corner right. 40 or 50 miles an hour too yeah. hot. Yeah. And, that's, and, they, and they really send it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They need to plug in some of the charger car noises on some of these electric vehicles. So you know, we're, and we, fast, we drive right? a lot of cars too, and we're susceptible to that kind of stuff. When we when we drive a very fast EV, mm-hmm. you know, we can we can get ahead of our own feet yeah. sometimes. You know, because you just we you know when when you learn to drive in a gasoline powered car, it's you different. associate yeah. a gear, an RPM, and a right. gear, and a right. you know, and a sound, and a blah, you're using blah, blah. all your sensories. You yeah. just lost one of your sensories. In yeah, an electric it's car. really really funky. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's new on the racing horizon? Anything interesting uh, that you guys are doing in the racing world right now? Yeah, um, you know, for me, it's Baja next, and I am prepping the third gen. Um, putting in a sequential transmission to go back and do some fun. road courses. That blue car? Year, yeah. That thing rules. Yeah, is that so that same fun. car that got, like, crashed real bad and rebuilt? Or is it a different car. one? Okay. That car is sitting out behind the shop in the woods. <laughs> it was so bad. In fact, I never drove that car. But um, it was crashed by one of our engineers. Doing He wasn't doing anything wrong, but he crashed it. And um, so, yeah, this is a separate car, second car that we put together. Are those cars, you know, I've never driven a, a nicely built I rock. Are they nice to drive when they're done? They, they can be. This one's still loud, um, and it has a pretty crazy motor in it, but yeah. it, it is. When you're out driving it, I love the seating position in them. Um, sit low. Yeah, you sit low, you sit back, and I love the cars. I yeah. love to drive them. Yeah. Who, what kind of customers are getting IROCs built right now? <laughs> Goombas? Good question. We filmed one for Big Muscle years ago. Yeah. The guy couldn't have been nicer. It was like a, a red one automatic, but... I don't know what parts were on it, but I do remember it turned really well. Musto remarked on how well it braked, and the thing went really good. It only had like 400 horsepower, yeah. but the chassis and everything, according to Musto, felt really good. Hmm. You know, took to the mods really is nicely. That a, is it independent rear suspension in that, or it's no. a solid axle? Solid it's axle. a solid axle. Yeah. Okay. It's a fun platform. I wonder when. I wonder when the people are going to start asking for the next round for yeah. the F bodies. Has no, that happened soon. yet? It's soon. Like I said, those cars are so popular, and it's either a Fox body or a third gen Camaro. That's what people want. Is anyone asking for Vipers? No, not yet. Not no. that I've heard. They handle good enough, I guess? I think so. Some of them, yeah. Some of the newer ones, for sure. Well, the newer ones, yeah. certainly, yeah. But, but I, all of a sudden, I find the 92s and 93s so appealing. I don't know why. Yeah. I, didn't, I thought they were so stupid for so long, but I guess, I guess it's just that that's, that's their age when now. When was that new? Was it 91? Was that the first? 92 was the, 92 first, was year. the first year. Yeah, okay. I think they made like 300 of them in 92, and yeah. then it was full production in 93. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I scared myself to death and almost lost my career before I started at GM with that Viper we had as a benchmark car. Uh-huh. Why they would let a co-op student take a <laughs> Dodge Viper out on the hill route, but somehow I talked somebody into it, and uh, it was pretty. It was almost tragic, tragic, Oof. but I pulled through it. <laughs> was there anything else you remember from those benchmark drives of it? Something that really stood out to you from the other cars, and you went, "Oh, this we got to make the Corvette do this." You know, the like the Acura NSX. I was never around cars like that growing yeah. up, so for me to get in a car like that, and I'm not saying that's what the Corvette needed to be, but it did some things. To me, that I was like, I'd never experienced in a car before. That car is a lovely car. It's so easy to drive, so yeah. fun to drive. And that's reflected so. in their collector values, you know. Right. It plus, it's got that really low dashboard. Right. You know, you're like on the front axle, and yeah. they're just light shifter, light pedals. Very, very it's nice a driver cars. car. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to drive. They're expensive, though, now. Yeah. I mean, you are. want a really good NSX, you're looking at fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars right. dollars sometimes for, you know, one that's even got a bunch of miles on it, you know. Yeah. Uh, we got a few questions from the fans for you, Kyle, if, Z- if Zach wouldn't mind. Yeah. Normally, I have a screen to read off in our home studio, but we don't here. So Zach gets to present the questions. Um, we already talked about the EV thing for Prashant, I think. Prashant. Um, okay. Uh, Hunter Sands asks, as modern cars become increasingly fast and dull, do you see the market of building rowdy cars that actually stop and turn growing as a result? Yeah, I still see the market growing, um, again, just to be so they're not so vanilla, right? Muscle cars are more of like the knuckle dragger, you know what I mean? And, and they can be analog. They don't have to be digital and vanilla. And some people, I think, will, I mean, just like a big block, the new Chevrolet, big, you know, even though oh, it's yeah, the 1,000 horsepower right? engines, yeah. 10 liters, Jesus. I think there's a How many orders do you have for that? For that? <laughs> not that I know of yet, yeah. but it'll be coming. But I think there is a good market for that for to go back to those, you know, not hot rod Model A's and 32's. There's a good following for that. But to make those muscle cars maybe not so refined into a pro touring car to make it more like a muscle car, I still think that can happen. Do you guys, when you when someone asks you for like 1,000 plus horsepower car, do you guys partner with a, an engine company? Because that's not really what you focus on in-house. No, we, we don't do engines in-house. So it varies. Like we have a charger in the house right now that has a helifant in it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the LS engines... Um, we've used Mass Motorsports down in Texas mm-hmm. for Scoggin Dickey and um, some of their race shops like that. Um, but, you know, the best bang for the buck is to plug in a GM crate motor and yeah. go to town. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, oh, there we go. Um, well, Joe Leonard says that you might have just answered this. Is there any potential for you to begin going back and reproducing older engines for aging classics? Uh for car, you know, in replace of car makers that don't make those engines anymore. But you guys don't make engines. We're not an engine company. Uh, chassis and suspension, ball joints are us, not camshafts. Well, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, somebody will. You know, that'll come up. Um, how many? How many? In the vein of that, you know, you don't necessarily have subframes and stuff for every you know old car. How many like calls do you need to get to justify? You know, okay, maybe we need to really look into making this part or is it you need a you need one patron to cover the tooling for everybody that comes after it is that no, pretty much it's a it? good question it takes a lot yeah it takes a lot of interest and and there's a lot of intel that we've done being on the road whether it's at shows or racing and you you start to see what people are wanting to build or they keep asking for it and that we do surveys too yeah. to ask what people are looking for from us as a brand but i tell you, there's a lot of intelligence that comes from just being on the road and racing and being at the shows and talking to people isn't that tough, though? I mean, to to 
to figure out when interest will convert to sales, oh, you yeah. know, because so many people will say they're interested. Right. But now it's like, okay, does that mean I justify millions of dollars in the tooling to build this thing? You well, know? yeah, it happens. I mean, when we got into the third gen, you don't know whether we've got one guy or one club that just has 50 people in with IROX that want parts, right? Yeah. And we have 50 calls in a day. But you have to really, and it's a risk in the aftermarket to put yeah. any tooling dollars and fixtures into what's really low volume. Has it ever not paid off? Have you ever done yeah. done tooling for something that just turned out to not be that popular? It, it, the Chevy 2, our Chevy 2 product line. Um, the Chevy 2? Yeah. Like the Nova a, 2? Yeah, that yeah. Is a, it's an awesome product line for that car, but we were late to the game. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of people got on that earlier than us and had some brand equity in it, but our Chevy 2 front end it's just like the Hydroform subframe. It, it works and transforms those cars. I love that but car. I, I feel like that car's never, or that product line's never really caught on, even though we're selling. The more we sell, the more it sells itself. But that one's probably one looking back that that was a little bit of a disappointment. But it's mm. still cruising along and getting better. A long play. It's a long play, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but if you go to, you know, you don't see as many of those, right. certainly, as you would Camaros or you right. know even no, Mustangs you or, or anything. I, I love the Chevy twos too. Um, the sixty six, sixty sevens are very popular. I like the little, the early ones even. That mine's a sixty three, but um, yeah, those are cool cars. They can ride very well mm-hmm. and handle well too. Yeah, they're small too. Right, they're very small. Right, they look they look like a half size of like a Chevelle or something. You know, yeah. if you see them out in the wild by themselves, because they just look like a three quarter car or something. But they're just as much cool. much smaller greenhouse. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Last one, because we answered Dan, uh, Dan Mosquito's car, uh, question. Um, Rob Libert says, uh, My 16-year-old son is set on fixing up his mom's 68 Mustang, which is an antique that she drove in high school. Other than a disc brake conversion, what would you start on to modernize the car? He knows you offer full suspension. Would that be reasonable? And he says, yes, before anybody says it, I recognize it's risky, but we live out in the middle of nowhere, and it won't be a daily driver. Yeah, no, it's, first of all, it's good to hear young people getting into the industry and liking cars, right, instead of phones and games and things like that. So good for you. But, yeah, the first thing is probably brakes and steering on a Mustang, 68 Mustang. Um, You know, go to the aftermarket companies and and get a decent brake package that can bolt on the stock suspension even to make it easy. Um, Steering in those cars are probably the the next biggest weak link. Um, You can fix that, and probably some bolt-on front suspension would go a long way to keep him, one, that it's fun to drive, but also safe to drive for him too to fix fix the steering are you talking about you know changing the system and switching to like ifs completely and rack and pinion or are you just saying like update the bushings and stuff yeah more so um to put a a power those cars had like a drag link with a uh, slave assist on it and they never did really work that well and that steering box has a solid shaft going to the steering wheel right so it's not a collapsible column so the best way to do it is to put on like an aftermarket um power steering box and put in a collapsible column from the aftermarket it's a good way to do it um at least take the solid shaft out that's sitting behind the steering wheel out of it for that a young person dangerous. like that yeah <laughs> um and there was there was in the 60s that was you know a lot went on with that but yeah that's probably the first thing i would do and then get into aftermarket control arms at least for the front there's a lot of options for the front suspension but brakes and steering be the first two great uh, I want to end with, uh, you know, whenever we have folks like yourself, experts in the, in the field, sh- uh, people who own their businesses, founded them, we we usually get a question from the from the fans about this, but I'll just throw it out there, you know, because we talk about people who 
are, are younger, you know, guy, you know, that that guys like yourself can't always find, you know, craftsmen who really want to work and really want to uh, uh, perfect their skills and really make a career out of working on on, on these cars and engineering parts. You know, if you're if you're going to hire somebody. You know, what are you looking for in a in a new hire in general, even if it's very entry level? You know, what kind of skills could someone develop on their own before they come to someone like yourself asking for a job? Uh, You know, and and how would you advise a, a, a young person who has a basic mechanical aptitude but wants to, you know, pursue their their passion as a career in a long-term way. What do you what do you say to people like that? Yeah, you know, we always still look for personalities to make sure that someone's open to learn. Um, they're passionate about this industry means a lot. If they're passionate and willing to learn, we can teach somebody to weld. We can teach anybody anything really. Um, but I think that's the two key ingredients. And you know, it's it's great to be able to have a trade, even if you go to night school and take a welding class, TIG welding class. We cannot hire enough. CNC machinists and welders right we, now. That's, we keep hearing CNC operators. We keep hearing that one. That's a regular welders one that comes too. up. Welding? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, we've we've taken people and some of the best employees that have kind of grown with the company as the company's needed new people to, mm. to grow with it or just people that came out of high school with a passion and willingness to learn and dedicated to the company, and they're just passionate about this industry. That's a good answer. I like that. Well, uh... Congratulations on the Holly deal. Thank it's you. amazing for you. Thank you. Uh, amazing for your employees, I hope. It, it's it been brings, better for uh, them so far, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a measure of stability, certainly, right. and uh, you know, access to the entire Holly parts catalog as well, I Employee imagine. discounts came up right away on <laughs> questions. Employee discounts, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that may have been the second question that was asked when I announced it. There you it. go, there you go. <laughs> any any new uh, product announcements in the pipeline that you want to mention since we are here at SEMA? Yeah, um, you know, the, the SLA front suspension is oh. still in the works, so that'll be big for the Fox bodies. Mm-hmm. We just introduced our C10 front suspension product line, which is really neat, bolt-on cradle rack and pinion system, um, transforms the trucks into, you forget you're driving a truck. So excited That's cool. about that. That's yeah. cool. Well, regards to uh, the whole Detroit Speed family, we, uh, we, we certainly love your products. And the next time one of those cars makes it through Los Angeles, make sure you call us. We can have a little go. All right. And we'll uh, enjoy the rest of your SEMA. I appreciate you sitting down with us for this quick one. You bet. Good Thank to see you. you, man. You too. Thank you. That's our show for today. Kyle Tucker of Detroit Speed and Engineering is always a pleasure. And we will be back tomorrow with Mr. Robert Dom. See you. Yeah, yeah.